Hey, NoosaCast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the NoosaCast or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, let's get this show on the road. Jared Allen still plays on one of the national level teams. They've gone head to head in games like that. He's playing against Jackson. You smack talk Jared Allen at all? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. All right, NoosaCast listeners, welcome to our second show. Number uh, two, Tosh, we made two. it. Number two in the books. This is pretty exciting. Um, you know, like I said in the first episode, uh, we're growing, we're learning, and uh, we're excited to have you on the journey as well. So this second show takes place, and uh, one of the big things happening in the Valley, Joe, is uh, Paperfest is coming up at uh, Sunset Park in Kimberley. Absolutely. And I They have a lot of live music, three different stages, but I'm excited for one of my favorite bands, uh, they've played Mile of Music several years in a row. I've seen them out at Ledgestone Vineyard as well, and that's them Cooley Boys. Yeah, Exciting they just played again. Jones Park, I think, earlier this summer or spring they, they as did, well. You know, they kind of fuse a bluegrass and pop, and you know, you name it. They're a fun band out of the uh, Eau Claire area. And, yes, uh, I I actually got to listen to them the first time was at uh, my friend's cabin down in Viroqua, and he was playing them, and he goes, "Yeah." This is a cool band. You got to listen to these guys. So, uh, yeah, super excited to see how how popular they've become, and you know, looking forward to checking them out uh, this weekend. Uh, absolutely, and and I mean, don't you love festival season? Middle of the summer right now, and and it's all about the festival, all about the music. I like it because it kind of brings you back to your childhood. Yeah, like cotton candy, the festival, the Summerfest, Summerfest, Summerfest. Yeah, Summerfest is another thing. Uh, I like. I like thinking of these little like uh, the fairs though. These little fairs yeah. are something that you know, like we talked about, like old Pierce Park, and yeah. these are the things that were that bring you back to your childhood. So Paperfest is one of those local community events, totally free, and it's just a blast to be able to go and check those things out. Maybe a little REO Speedwagon at the Seymour Fair. <laughs> there you go. Huh? Yeah, County Giddy Fairs. Up now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah all, it's incredible all the 80s bands that are out there now touring coming back they're all playing little fairs too and yeah hey they found their niche right that's right that's you right and we're speaking of finding niches um here's a niche sports that we're going to bring in this week and one of the fastest growing sports in the country um if you didn't realize that there's high school teams there are high school teams it's not just the sport that you and charles barkley like to watch during the olympics uh, we have an episode on curling oh yes How exciting is that I, I tell you what it's super exciting now we had i don't know if people remember we our last red smith banquet in april of 2022 we had the u.s olympic curling team and a lot of those guys are from wisconsin the up uh, minnesota Wow, what a sport. I mean, we you're right. We watch it every four years, but to to kind of learn it, understand it, the dedication, the uh the skill it takes for this sport, it's it's insane. 
hope you find this as interesting and eye-opening as we did. We've got a great main event with Scott and Jackson Armstrong in just a few minutes and an exciting throwback with a U.S. Olympic curling team. You'll find that towards the end of this podcast, so stay tuned. We will get right back to the show, but I first wanted to let you know about one of our great sponsors. They were founded in 1889. They are a fourth-generation family and employee-owned business. They're headquartered right here in Appleton, Wisconsin. Who am I talking about? Well, of course, Bolt Construction. Bolt was recently awarded four Build Wisconsin Awards given annually by the Associated General Contractors of Wisconsin. Three projects were recognized, including one we always see as we traverse through Milwaukee, and that is the Great Children's Hospital. Bolt builds better. Bolt builds right out of Appleton, Wisconsin, and Bolt supports the NoosaCast and the Red Smith Banquet. Thank you, Bolt. All right, Tosh. Here's our chance to get a little creative in a new segment that we're calling Forgotten and Forgetting. So what is forgotten and forgetting? Forgotten is something we we want to forget. We're forgetting is something we don't want to forget. Well, we're in mid-July here in Wisconsin, and something that I want to forget is the humidity. Amen humidity to that. Kills. <laughs> and my I I become yeah, I become a puddle and humidity, you know what? That's why I don't go to Florida in the middle of the summer. I don't need the humidity. I can say I would buy stock in gold bond. It's, that's a helpful product. <laughs> a little, little monkey butt powder. Yeah. A little, little, uh, what are the kids saying? Lacrosse swamp ass. I, I know that feeling. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We always complain about the weather, but you're right, man. Holy cow. You can cut the humidity with a, I always think of Scooby-Doo when he's cutting the fog and makes a donut out of it. That's it's kind of how I feel. It's true. It's not all bad though. We live here in Wisconsin for a reason. We have four seasons and one of our seasons is humidity. Yeah, so absolutely. that's the way it is. Goes right there with road construction, but you know, kind of low key, the older I get, it sort of feels kind of good on the old bones. <laughs> yes, true. Very good points. <laughs> you know, speaking of being kind of an old guy, my forgotten is uh sleeping injuries, Tash. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. But you ever wake up and, and you can just feel the twinge in your hammy catches and just wakes you out of a dead sleep and your hammy's engaged <laughs> injuries. Nice. But currently I've got something going on in my ankle. Not, not, not to make this all about the old guy injuries, but uh, it's always nice in the middle of, you know, middle of the night, wake up with just some injury that's throbbing or cramped or whatever the case is. It just uh long story short, it kind of sucks to get old, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's the bad. So with every bad, I think you need a little good, right, Tosh? What are you what are you forgetting? Or what or should I say, what aren't you forgetting? Uh, you know what? This is uh this is the time I have my first first son going off to college and um my second son starting high school. So I just I don't want to forget those times that that I have with them and growing up and uh you know, just the personal side, you know, you, you don't don't forget those uh forgetting those those pieces and the time you get to spend um until it's too late so enjoy every minute you have agreed yeah it it everybody tells you it goes fast man it goes fast i saw will the other night i haven't seen him in a little while and and he i mean shit the, 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 
He's a big boy. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm never forgetting those times either. And in fact, yeah. something I'm never forgetting, I, th- I think to kind of go along those same lines. I mean, you, you and I've had a lot of dogs in our life and I was sitting out on the back porch the other night, enjoying the humidity kind of, <laughs> um, with my basset hound Hazel. And it's just kind of, you know, the love of a dog. I was just th- sitting there thinking that you got to love the love of a dog. Don't you? There's just that nothing better. That is a good point. Man's absolutely. best friend. So yeah. I have two of them myself. That's yeah. Two springers, absolutely. So they're fun. Oh yeah. We, we have some great stories. I, uh, well, shoot. Not that anybody wants to hear this, but a re- shout out to Max. Remember Max? What a, <laughs> yeah. what a great dog he was. And, uh, when Tasha and I were roommates eons ago, Max was uh, was the house dog. <laughs> he had his own personality. That oh was my awesome. God. And then some. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Forgetting and forgotten. F and F. Hope you enjoy. One of the goals of the NoosaCast is to bring you incredible stories of people that live right here in our backyard. Well, that's happening today as we sit down with Jackson Armstrong and his dad, Scott, and we got to hear their incredible story. This is a great interview. Um, lucky enough to have worked with Scott Armstrong, and we got to hear his son, Jackson, who made the uh, U.S. Junior team. They, they won the U.S. Juniors. Um, been learning a lot about it over the last few years and we're excited to bring it to you guys. And if you don't know anything about curling, you're going to learn something about curling by the time this episode is done. Absolutely. I don't know anything about curling. I do know though. What, what position would you want to be? I, I, I'd go sweeper would be mine. <laughs> uh, I don't think I could bend over and do that with my knees. So uh, <laughs> I'll be the observer drinking beer up in the, uh, in the glass heated area <laughs> <laughs> as the Armstrongs told us maybe be the coach right where they, yeah, they there you halt go. right before they they slide or they t- i forgot the the exact terminology but toss the rock down down the <laughs> down the ice yeah who knew too i the different types of ice surfaces as well it's just fascinating it's, it's a great interview yeah we hope you guys enjoy this And you get to listen to the Armstrongs, uh, specifically Scott and Jackson, talk a little bit about a sport that that they love and is all in the family. Jackson, who are you? Where do you go to school? (laughs) Yeah, um, so I'm originally from Appleton. I grew up in Appleton. And then I completed three semesters at University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, where I um, was actually accepted to a... um, uh, graduate program at the Chicago Medical School um, with just 90 credits. So I, I was one of the youngest applicants at, at that school to actually get accepted. So that was really cool. But excellent. aside from academics, um, I've been curling for like at least 12 years now since I was six. So I'm 20 right now. And I grew up curling at the Appleton Curling Club on the west side of Appleton. And I'm sure you guys might know where that is. Do you, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Right next to the movie theater, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Right across from the movie theater. Um, I really I got into it because of my dad. I, I that, That's the entire reason is because he, 
had a passion for it and wanted to show his kids. So it was my older brother and my older sister and myself who were all brought down to the curling club and he showed us the sport and we all really, really liked it. And it just stuck. So, so. is it one of those things from day one? I mean, you got on, you got at the curling club with your dad and you get the rocks out and you're, you're going at it. Is it, was it like, did it click for you right away? Like, Hey, this is something that I really enjoy I mean, six-year-old me might not have known it then, but yeah, that's probably when it, yeah, right away. I think I knew that that sport was something that I wanted to do my whole life. Even if I didn't know I wanted to do it competitively at that time, I knew that this was something really cool. I think the competitive part at that point in your life was more, I just want to do better than my brother and sister. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was, and, and then that led to other things. Well, that's a good point. I mean, your brother and sister and you, was, was there a huge competitive piece there as you got older? Did you just, were you competing with each other or were you like, I'm going to beat that. I'm going to beat them and rub it in. Well, what's interesting is for two years of my competitive curling, I curled with my older brother on the same team. And that was a really interesting dynamic. I mean, I'm four years younger than him. So for him to play with me was a pretty large age gap as far as like how curling teams are set up. And I mean, there were times when we were fighting on the ice, just (laughs) the brotherly love, I guess. But I mean, there were times when we had each other's backs, when we were, you know, cheering each other on while we got to play with each other. So I think that was something really special. But yeah, of course, competing against my siblings was one of the largest motivators for me, I guess. Scott, if we take the story back even further, what did you grow up with curling? What's the passion? Where did the passion come for curling? Uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So technically, my children would be fourth generation curlers. So my grandfather was one of the founding members of the Appleton Curling Club. And this would have been like in the late 30s, early 40s, uh, when they first built the original curling club at Pierce Park, which now is kind of like where the tennis courts are down there, if you kind of know where that area is. Sure. And then they moved in the mid 50s to the curling club as we know it at, you know, out on College Avenue. Um, But I knew that my grandfather was a curler. I never really like, you know, got into it at a young age. It was something that I saw on television and I knew he did it. And I'm like, I'm going to go find out what grandpa was doing. And I went down to the club and got some information for some of the local members. And they hooked us up right away with like a learn to curl and, um, I think right from that first get-go of throwing a rock and probably doing it so terribly and wanting to do like, a, I guess, self-improvement, knowing I could always do better, that's been kind of the name of the game is trying to achieve like that perfection, which in like curling and golf, I don't know that it's ever achievable, but we try. Absolutely. Is it very, is it similar to golf? A lot of the similarities in, in the sport? I would say so. Absolutely. Especially with like, uh, tempo uh consistency the delivery dynamics is very much you know like just having that consistent swing uh everything that you can try and do repetitively um over and over again with the same consistency you know that's gonna have success oh absolutely sounds very much like golf yeah yeah um so as far as you're young, you're getting into this. Are there, were there leagues where there's a lot of travel? Were you competing against other adults at a young age? I mean, either of you can jump in. So in curling, there's like a developmental phase of your like athletic 
career. So like I would say like from the ages of eight to 12, you're in the developmental program. And that's just where you're just playing to get better. You're playing to form relationships with other curlers. But once you get into the competitive division, that's 12 and up. And um, that's when you can go to different camps across the Midwest and really like tune in on your skills, form teams and go to more competitive events. How much practice are you, are you, uh, one of my older boys played soccer and, and, you know, they have competitive practice, say three or four nights a week. Is that something that you're doing with curling? Are you going by yourself, maybe with a teammate or something? Are you just honing the, the release, the, the, just working the skills? Yeah. During season, I could be going down to the curling club four to five times a week. And then I could also have events on the weekend on top of that. So it can be a lot, but, um, I mean, it's not as physical of a sport as, let's say, football. I'm not playing a football game every night. You know what I mean? It's just, right. it, it's something that you can do more hours in, and you can put more hours in without the fatigue. But sure. Yeah, I put a I lot suppose of like every sport, it's just all about the fundamentals, right? The footwork and the yes. fundamentals, just doing that over and over and over. Yep. So whether I'm practicing by myself, working on the fundamentals like that, or playing on a league with others to kind of get more of that team feel. Um, but yeah, either either way, I'm put in the work yeah no doubt jackson's kind of talking a little bit about you know the transition from developmental curler to you know national level in fact you know now currently national champion um but there's some other i guess levels that are kind of in between there too for youth too um you know i've been you know fortunate to be part of developing those programs down at the curling club so we have that developmental division, and then that kind of leads into what we call our high school group. And they're not necessarily kids who are to become a national champion or, you know, have the Olympics on their mind or something like that. But they also want to be involved in a club activity that, you know, maybe isn't so mainstream like some of our other sports. So we have, you know, currently right now, um, Appleton East, West and North, Nina, Menasha, uh, Kimberly, uh, right now, who are kind of, you know, the major high schools that are involved at our, at our club. That's terrific. So basically the whole FVA. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, at, at the height of us having the most curlers down there that were in high school, I'd say we had a year where we had close to 70 high school curlers. Um, and we all play right in the same facility. Isn't like each high school has their own curling club, right? So, we're, right. you know, housed in one complex, but, um, Usually we're somewhere between 25 and 35 high school curlers annually. All right. That's terrific. And what's the season? What, what's uh, uh, the, the months? Yeah. So I would kind of put it in as like, a, like if you had to go with like winter athletics, you know, so I would say that beginning of November until the middle of March. And anybody interested in that, just the Appleton Curling Club, right? Is it probably your best resource? Yeah, yeah. Just go to our webpage. I'm still the contact person on there. We have some other uh, members who are starting to volunteer and put more time in and um, really help kind of take off with that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that's probably the best access point. to If someone's interested in high school curling um, and maybe even competitive from that and maybe high school is like the introductory point to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you can jump in at any point. You don't have to start when you're six like Jackson did. You know, we get plenty of kids who come in as, you know, senior year of high school. <laughs> right. 
start, right? But they want to try something, and it's funny. I'm still in contact with some of these kids who are now off in college and even through that and back in the working world, and they're members at other clubs in other parts of the country. Well, just like golf, it's something you can do pretty much your whole life, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just we just lost one of our um, longest members, Harry Bull. He um, just passed recently, and but he, he did so much for our club, but he was still in his 90s still curling down at the Appleton Curling Club. Oh, that's terrific. Way to go, Harry. Yeah, right. So I guess we we'll go jump back a little bit. Um, so Jackson, you're uh, you're at that point. You're 12 years old. What point did you know that you had some skills? And maybe, maybe Scott, maybe you can answer this too. What point did you know you had the skills to move on to that next level? I would say that at my first junior curling camp this is a curling camp that takes over um over the course of the summer in blaine minnesota where junior curlers come from all over the midwest even the country there are junior curlers that come from like arizona or the east coast or even like the west coast they all come to blaine minnesota to meet other curlers form teams and kind of show off what they can do and my first year i remember looking around having people's eyes on me like i i, I kind of knew that People were like, who is this kid? He, he looks pretty good. And I eventually formed a team through that curling camp. And I played with that team for seven years. And that's the team that I just won nationals with. So pretty crazy that those relationships lasted. And I don't know, curling is a sport of friends and teammates that we have each other's backs. And it's more than just the sport. It's like a true relationship with my team. So, so Scott. Mm -hmm. When did you know or think that he had some time? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind it's kind of crazy. So Jackson played um, football for for Kimberly High School here locally too, and of course we know they have quite a uh, regime of workout and and routine and all that. And when we actually were at one of those camps, and they brought in a Canadian instructor. Uh, and if anybody's not quite familiar with Canada and curling, they're probably the largest country in the world with curlers and, and you know, most, uh, I don't know, decorated curlers in the, in the world. Uh, but they brought in one of these instructors and he was trying to show these kids how to sweep and sweep more powerfully and effectively. And when I saw him doing what he could do with that instructor and kind of like, putting himself in the same like world-class sweeping ability as that instructor. That's when I kind of knew we had something where he could really be a, a very powerful front end player, meaning he's, you know, the first or second player on the team of four. That's pretty cool. So you're what, 12 years old. And so do you continue, do you travel like the Midwest then at this point when you're into, you, you know, you're, you're into the more competitive Are tournaments, all over the Midwest, all over the country are, you know, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, a typical season we would, we would have been traveling like across the Midwest. There's a lot of curling clubs in Wisconsin. So, I mean, we would go down to Portage, we would go, um, the Superior has a curling club that I've been to. Um, but a lot of the events are in Minnesota. So we'd go over there to Blaine, Chaska, St. Paul in the Twin Cities area. Um, and then some events like the, the national events, so like U18 nationals, U21 nationals, those those kind of jump around more. So this last year that U21 nationals, it was in Boston, in Massachusetts. Um, 
so just kind of give a little perspective of how far away the, the events can be. But most of the season is in the Midwest. Yeah. When, how long is it? When, when, so you go to Boston, how, how long is that tournament or matches? Yeah. So a, a national competition like that is, is seven to eight days. So usually curl two games a day. Each curling game is about three hours, depending on how many ends we're playing. So it can be fatiguing if you're curling for six hours a day. It, it can mm. be strenuous. So they, they kind of have to make the events pretty long. Was it difficult during school? Did you do a lot of this during high school then, the travel? Were yeah. teachers easy to work with, understanding? I mean, it's tough. If you have to go to like a weekend tournament and you have to miss like a Friday, and then on top of that, you're going to the national competitions and missing entire weeks. I mean, I really built up some some absent days. <laughs> so some of my <laughs> teachers were kind of mad at me, but I mean – I was, I was, I tried to be as responsible as I could. I tried to get my work done ahead of time. So I never really had any big issues with it, but you, you got to look at the curling schedule, right? Before you set your final schedule, I would think. Right. <laughs> so yeah, like you were just mentioning those, those length of games, um, you know, that just showed up at this last nationals where they're at. I would say that Jackson's team was probably the most um senior team there so there was quite a few teams that were put together that you know were a little bit younger like they once were when they first kind of broke onto the scene but uh i would say that was probably their strongest um the, their biggest strength here at nationals was that ability to you know show up and 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 play through those two games a day day after day through the entire week um, I think that's where they were physically stronger and mentally stronger than those other teams and ultimately why they showed up and, and, and had the success they did. Are the levels a lot like other sports where you have like U14, U12? Is that the same type of leveling that you have in curling? Um, there are U18, like that's the youngest, the U18 okay. National Championship, and then the U21 National Championship, which I just won, and then it goes into men's. How long do you think you, you want to curl? What, uh, another 10, 20 years? Are you looking to for the Olympics? Is that the next goal? Yeah, I mean, it depends how uh, this next season plays out with the team going to Junior Worlds and going to Men's Nationals, playing against the Olympians, John Schuster, Matt Hamilton, you know the names. Um, mm -hmm. If we play really well, I mean, the team would stay together and try to take a crack at the 2026 Winter Olympics. It could happen, so... Oh, that's going to be fascinating to watch. And where is the 2026 Olympics? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do my research. Sorry. Yeah. So let's uh, let's look at, at what you just competed in. You just won won the U twenty one nationals. Uh, tell us a little bit about about that tournament and uh, how it went for you. Yeah. So the tournament began with a uh, full uh, seven game round robin. So there's eight teams there. Each team plays each other one time. So that is the bulk of the tournament. And uh, we went undefeated through the round robin, putting us at the number one seed. We did have a few close games. It was not easy. Mm -hmm. We had some close games, especially against some younger teams, too. We kind of got taken off by some of the younger players who actually threw really well. But uh, uh, we were seeded number one at the end of the round robin. Um, and we had to win the next two, two games, and we did. So seven games, and then you have kind of a – Basically, the, the top team, you get seeded number one, and then you have to win two more games to win the championship after that. Yep, so it was, a, it was a page playoff. So we were the number one seed. We played the number two in the first game, and then 
the number two had to play the winner of the three versus four. A little bit different uh, playoff system than a typical like straight semifinal final. They're really trying to give as much advantage as they can to the teams that had the most success in the round robin. So, you know, that's why they try and put the one and the two versus each other. So, like, hey, loser of that game, even though you're the top two teams here, you're not eliminated. You at least have a chance to play back into a championship if you lost that one-two game. And now you win that. And so where are you off to next? Where are the Worlds? Yeah, so the the World Junior Curling Championships are in Loha, Finland. Um, but the U.S. Men's Junior National Team last year at Worlds finished seventh out of ten teams. So the United States actually got relegated, which means that we have to play into the World Junior B Championships first before we can make our way into the World Junior Championships. So both events are going to be in Finland, but we'll be going in December for the World Junior Bs. And if we finish top three, then we qualify for the World Junior Championships in January. So you might have to go, like, or would you would you stay there the entire time? Is it that close of a, a the Bs and the, the uh, World Championships? Nope, they'd be two separate events, two times going back out. That's something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Where are your other teammates from? Yeah, yeah. So um, the skip of my team, so every curling team has a skip, and they're kind of the team captain, I would say. They call the shots. They uh, they know the strategy of the game, and they're kind of like the masterminds behind the whole game itself. Um, the skip, his name is Wes Wendling. He is originally from Wausau, but he goes to school in Mankato in, in Minnesota. Um, he's planning on moving to the Twin Cities, which is kind of where – USA curling operates where all the national teams are pretty close to. Um, Kevin Tuma, he's the third on our team and he is originally from St. Paul, so he won't have to do any moving, but he's already in the area. Um, and then we are picking up two curlers from a different team. We're kind of like mashing two teams together. Um, and those two boys are from Eau Claire. But, um, do, do you guys far, play the same position or are you rotating through them? I'm a novice no, we, to curling. I've been throwing lead. So I've been the one who throws the first two rocks um, since I was 12. Okay. It's just something that I've gotten really comfortable with and I'm really good at it too. Mm -hmm. um, Wes, he's been skipping since he was 12. So it's kind of like you kind of find your the, the spot you're comfortable with, but there there's some flexibility. You can change some players around and, see what they do but now before you throw are you conferring with the captain then and, and what type of throw you're going to go with or, or how does that strategy work oh yeah so before every shot is called there's a um the type of shot the speed that it needs to be thrown the correct rotation needs to be like confirmed um before that rock is thrown for uh for the accuracy of the shot to for the shot to be executed so do you guys get into like watching film, like, like studying your release, understanding yeah. that? So the we've already been watching some of our film from junior nationals in Boston, and we've been analyzing it with our coach and looking at little things that we can be tweaking already for this upcoming season. And we're already um, having a practice in June. So even over the summer, we're going to be practicing because we are the men's junior national team. So sure. there's a higher level of commitment now that goes into it. We don't really get a whole lot of free time now right no i, I would imagine and, and 
Yeah, people just don't see that. It, it, it's I, I can't even imagine the amount of time you put into this. <laughs> they got they got a new coach now too. By the way, it was always kind of myself and the uh, West Wendling, the Skip's father from um, Jim Wendling from Wausau. We've been kind of the coaches, the two-headed monster here of you know getting these guys to the level of where they're at. But once they win nationals, they're pretty clear about like, okay, <laughs> take a seat, guys. Right, right. We got somebody else. You know. are, are most of the good curlers, is it a generational thing, similar story to yours, Jackson, or are there kids that are literally new to the sport? Yeah, there's a mix of both. I mean, there are some family bloodlines that always stick to the sport that have like kind of like a fa- famous uh, last names, but there's also new curlers that come out of nowhere that can be just as good. So it's anybody's sport really. Right. I, do you get them, Scott, when you have the, the trial across days to, can you tell when a kid is hooked? I mean, can it, can it get, can a kid get hooked in, in basically one day? Uh, I would say that they can. Um, I would say typically, I know this sounds kind of silly, when we start with them as juniors, when they're like in that six-year-old to 12-year-old range, I think they get hooked on more of the fact that we have snacks and social time after Absolutely. practice than it is more just what's going on on the ice. You know, if I get little candy dishes out there or whatever, that seems to be the kind of the hook. Is, and, and it is my intention, let's have fun and see where this goes. If They can take it to whatever level they want, but we got to start with let's have something that's fun first and then and go from there. But I have seen kids who have come out literally one time and they're like, they go head first into buying curling shoes, buying brooms and other equipment and pants and stopwatches and all that. We provide all those things for free at the club. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, let's just call it the local bowling alley shoes versus your own ball and shoes. Okay. Right. But kids, as soon as they know it, they know it and they go head first and just, buy all the equipment having two kids playing two different sports i i, I always laugh at just well I, I cry i guess more at the price of shoes how how reasonable are curling shoes yeah uh not not so reasonable so <laughs> yeah i would say that they run anywhere from like maybe low 200 dollars on like the the low end um to maybe as high as like four or five hundred dollars for you know some really specialized shoes that being said because of that cost, a lot of curlers have been getting into customizing shoes. So they'll go buy a pair of like uh, weightlifting shoes or skateboard shoes or something that has a good tread on it that they feel good with or comfortable. And they actually build and customize their own shoe. That's been coming more and more common from Matt Hamilton from the, the, the U.S. squad that you had there at the Red Smith a few years back. Right. Um, he kind of streamlined that with maybe being a little bit more of a uh, you know, a fashionable guy and kind of people watching him with the mustache and the hat and the hanky hanging out of his back pocket. So right. a little flair and style, but, but he did that with shoes too. And that's kind of caught on. And, and a lot of kids across the country, of course, idolize that and see that, but, but it's functional too. Yeah. It's all about the look, right? You got to look right. 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 Is there uh, speaking of equipment? Then is there uh, somebody just starting in curling? Is there any other equipment that that they would need to purchase? Um, I, I mean, I'm assuming the stones are provided. But as you advance through your career, Jackson, I mean, do you have do you have a bunch of stones that that that, that you keep? Um, no, I do not have my own set of curling stones. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Probably a dumb question, but uh, no, no, actually, it's it's quite common actually. But there's so there's 16 stones per sheet. 
um, and they weigh about 42 to 44 pounds a piece. So I don't think you would want to be traveling around with those in your car too much. Uh, so that's a lot of weight. But the stones stay at the club, um, so they're unique to each club. The only stones that really travel are the ones that are used at the national level or the world defense. Those are the ones that they keep pretty specialized and, and, and travel with. Is it like hockey pucks? You have to keep them frozen or baseballs? You keep them in a humidor? Is there any special handling of uh, stones? I would say kind of. I mean, they always just kind of keep them in the ice houses on the ice. I know there's times of the year when we don't have ice um, that we, we take special care with them, I guess, of like making sure they're flipped upside down so that the running surface isn't, you know, on like a carpet or on some kind of other edge. But Outside of that, it's just, you know, making sure that they're on a cold surface all the time. Maybe another dumb question, but what is a curling stone actually made out of? Yeah, um, it's funny. All curling stones actually come from the same island. I'm not really sure what country it is, but they all come from the same island because the granite density has to be exactly the same. Otherwise, the rocks would break and chip. And yeah. I've seen I've seen people throw rocks really, really hard at each other, and I've never seen a, a curling rock break and that's because the the granite is so hard and so dense yeah. interesting are they where are they manufactured on that same island or yeah i mean i think they they harvest the rock from that island and bring it back and sure rocks yeah i think at this point there's there's you know they've used other quarries besides those this was in scotland i can't remember the name of the quarry either i probably should really know uh, but they're getting to the point of like i guess over you know over harvesting the rocks out of out of there the, like there isn't enough of that quarry um left so they're starting to use and find some other rocks in other places around the world but but it all really kind of started right there in scotland with those stones i had kind of was backtracking to the, uh, the u.s junior nationals how many teams made it to nationals that you beat uh, eight eight uh, men's teams and eight women's teams qualify. And you have qualifying events that led up to making to that? Yeah, so there's six qualifying events. Um, so at the start of each season, there's six qualifying events that if you win one event, you automatically qualify for junior nationals. And then the remaining two spots are met by earning points on the World Curling Tour. So if I if my team were to compete at a, like, um, a national event where there's like a big entry fee or there's a big purse that you can win. Those points are tracked by the world curling federation. And if you win games, you get like two points. If you lose a game, you get like half a point. Um, so then the next two junior teams with the highest world curling federation points would get the next two spots for junior nationals. And then how many teams are at the world bees? Hmm. So that's a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine there how many are there. I can tell you some of the ones that will be there just because they also have to go to relegation. And I think maybe for the first time ever, Canada is one of them that has to go to relegation. They actually did not finish in the top six. Um, Korea, Turkey, and was it Japan? I think, you know, plus the U.S. And then I know there's another handful of like European countries that'd be there too. So I don't think we know that number yet. And maybe it isn't even determined yet, but I would guess it would be somewhere right around like a dozen, a dozen teams for that qualifier. 
So you're a young kid, you're coming in, you want to play. What is the initial cost to come in and start, start competing and start playing? Yeah, I guess that can vary kind of like uh, club to club. Um, for us, our juniors at our Appleton Curling Club, anything on our junior night, which is kind of like our 12 and under kids, we offer that as free to anyone in the Fox Valley. Um, you just have to fill out a waiver and um, make sure that you got comfortable clothes and all that. We got everything that's down there for them. So essentially it's free. Uh, then when you get into the high school level, we do um, charge like a, a very nominal fee. I think it's like $45 and that's for your entire season. So still quite affordable. And then all the equipment again, then is also, you know, provided for, and you, you can upgrade your own if that's your choice. But then when you get into the, um, what we call our, the tournaments, the tournament word in curling is bond spiels. You can go to like local bond spiels or, or the competitive national level ones that we're kind of talking about. The local bond spiels can run anywhere for a, a team of four kids uh, to be like $100 to $160 for the team for the weekend. And you're guaranteed three games. So still pretty affordable. There's hotel and food costs, things like that on the end, just like if you're traveling with baseball or soccer or whatever it is. Um, but then at the national level, um, you know, we start to get into a little bit different animal. Some of the spiels or bond spiels that they enter um, are cash spiels. So your entry fee actually goes back into the payout of the winners of those bond spiels. So um, you could be a thousand dollars for an entry it could even be more than that in some cases for some of those too so does that money this how does that affect you as a competitor um can you do you bring that money home is it like scholarship money then um no it we uh my team actually won this one cash spiel in chaska minnesota and it just went right back into the team budget so we used it to go to another bond spiel so it's just something that keeps you going along in your season. And it's kind of like a really good pat on the back too. We felt really good about ourselves after actually winning some money. It felt really cool. Um, but it can also be really frustrating when you want to go to these events and the entry fees are like a thousand plus dollars, but you want to be at these events because that's where the good competition is. That's where the Olympians play. That's how you get better is playing with teams who are better than you. And you know, you're probably going to lose, but the experience is worth it. So what, what is the, the growth of the sport right now. Um, are we like seeing a, a huge number coming up? Um, I would say it's, it's really hard to put a gauge on it right now just because of COVID, right? So like COVID kind of like had everybody kind of stepping back a little bit where uh, memberships dropped a little bit. And, you know, of course, you know, we weren't around each other. Many clubs across the nation didn't even have ice for those that season, you know, because there was no club activities. So we are seeing, you know, I would say a steady in, increase in membership across the country um, and, and more so in places outside of the Midwest. So Midwest is kind of the mecca of curling for the United States. It's kind of where the most clubs were always at and uh, probably the most culture of curling. But just like, you know, with uh, like NHL hockey and all of a sudden, you know, they're in Tampa Bay and Carolina and wherever, you know, they're kind of, you know, everywhere. They are popping up around the around the nation everywhere. So uh, who just who just built the curling club in Nashville? That was uh, Jared Allen. Jared Allen and Mark Bulger, two former NFL players. 
So, you know, they, they were like the pioneers for that there. And, and Jared Allen still plays on one of the national level teams with Jason Smith. So he's playing against Jackson. So they've, they've gone head to head in games like that. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of arena ice around the, the country, which what that means is they're hockey arenas that kind of have a dual purpose as a curling club too. So they'll get some dedicated ice time for curling yet it's really a hockey arena. Uh, but they always strive to have uh, fundraising towards having their own dedicated facility outside of the arena. So can you tell me a little bit about the ice? I know it's different. My kids are hockey players. Yeah. I know the ice is a little different for curling. What's what's different about it? Yeah, the, the first thing anybody says when they step on curling ice is they go, whoa, it's bumpy. <laughs> and that's because we pebble the ice. We sprinkle water, and that makes little tiny bumps for the rocks to run on. If we didn't have the pebble, you would push a rock as hard as you could, and it wouldn't go down to the other end of the sheet. Because, I mean, these sheets are like 160 feet long, I think. Yeah. So the rocks do have to travel a bit of ways, and uh, that pebble helps them go pretty far too. Yeah. And do you have to pebble every so often? Is it like in between like resurfacing ice or hockey? Do you have to do the same thing? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of like how a Zamboni goes around, but, uh, once you start a curling game, it doesn't get pebbled. It'll get pebbled once the curling game is over and then the next game comes on. So just in between games, they, they do ice prep. Yeah. Almost more like bowling with like oiling a lane or like refreshing it or, or something like that. A little bit more like that. I, you know, kind of jumping forward to like the Olympics, I'm a hockey guy, so I watch hockey Olympics. But the next thing I want to watch is curling. And I hear so many people, like you just mentioned Jared Allen, you mentioned you know professionals that are starting curling clubs, that they say the one thing that I always watch is curling. Um, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people are kind of fascinated by watching it on TV or getting a chance to maybe watching it live? Um, it's, a, it's a difficult question, but... I, I would say a lot of people get fascinated with it, first of all, because I don't know, maybe I can kind of make this comparison a little for myself of like trying to watch rugby. I'm not really sure what the rules are, right? So I kind of like first get pulled in like, what is this? What's happening? And I want to kind of learn about what's what's going on. And you kind of get, I guess, pulled in by the strategy of the game. Uh, a lot of people look at it from a television point of view and think more like pool shot. Like, oh, why don't you just hit this one into this one and bank it over to here and, you know, your stone will end up right in the middle. Well, that's easily said, but very difficult to do. Um, in fact, sometimes impossible when I'm listening to other people that are watching curling for the first time. So I think I think it's just the obscurity of the sport, not seeing it. I mean, how many games are played like that, you know, on ice and – um, you know, it's basically like a chess strategy game that, you know, it just, it's very interesting. Um, I, I don't know else how to explain it, you know, but, but people do seem to watch it. I think at this last Olympics, um, it was the number one viewed sport at the last Olympics. Is there an official or, or a scorer? How, how is, uh, who's arbit who's the arbiter of the game? Yeah, the, uh, the World Curling Federation has uh, head officials and umpires that kind of just like watch the game, make sure that it's being carried out properly, and they hang the score and things like that. Um, when there's timeouts or uh, uh, when 
rules are broken or something like that. If something goes wrong, that's what the officials are there for, just to kind of keep the game going. Are there certain fouls like in golf where you, you would call them on yourself, or is that something that the official would call? Curling is tricky because it's like golf where it's a sport of etiquette. So if a team does something that's wrong, let's say they um, they bump a stone that was in play that had stopped, um, it's on th- that team to call it out that they that they burned a stone. That's what it's called, burning a stone. It's not on the other team to point fingers and say, hey, you just did this. You right. Should, you know what I mean? So it's, it is a sport of etiquette, and that's what we call the spirit of curling is that you always want to, like, be the best person you can be on the ice and that it's just a game. There are no hard feelings. You're not trying to make fun of your opponent. You're just trying to play a fun game. Are there any bad boys of curling that uh, maybe maybe bend the rules a little or don't call? There's some, there's some hotheads out there that kind of take it a little too far, but, I mean, it's still it's competition still at the same time. So it's yeah, a difficult ab- balance. Yeah. You smack talk Jared Allen at all? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a good idea. (laughs) He's a big boy. (laughs) When you're ready to throw and you guys are talking about where you want, are you thinking several shots ahead or is it that shot to begin with and then looking ahead after? Always. We're always thinking several shots ahead. If not, we're trying to think about every shot in the end. There's only eight rocks that you get to throw in an end and you're trying to think about all of them. And not only that, you're also thinking about which end you're in in the game. There's eight to 10 ends in a game. And if you're up with a big lead towards a later end, your strategy will change versus if you're down towards the end. So there's a lot to keep in mind. Yeah. And you learned all that from your dad, right? Some. Yeah. (laughs) Most of it. Yeah. (laughs) Scott, you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, this is a, this is something you can do your entire life. And that's gotta be one of the benefits of trying to attract people. Like, yeah, you can do this until you're in your nineties. Right, right. So we have like, I don't know, I guess that's kind of one of the selling points that I kind of use it with too, even with our high school kids. Um, when you're done playing high school football, there are a few that get to move on to college football and maybe, you know, advance past that. Um, but it's it's one of those sports that you can do um, like, like Harry did right up until your 90s. There's lots of times where there's people who may have like a physical disability where maybe they can't get down in the traditional delivery like we do, where you're very low to the ice as you're you know, throwing a rock. Um, we have um, sticks that are in place where you can actually attach it to the handle on the stone and walk out more like a traditional shuffleboard player would be on a court so that, you know, we can kind of keep those members down there because, it is a huge social aspect of our club too. And we want to keep as many members as we can around um, just having a good time and, and being part of a family. Jackson, a little bit. I mean, we know where you are now you know, going to nationals. What sports did you play growing up as well? Please. Yeah. My dad mentioned earlier, I played football for Kimberly high school. Um, I, re- I really did enjoy that. It was really good for me. Um, I also played soccer in middle school um, I swam when I was even younger on the FCYST swim team. Um, so I've always been involved in athletics, but I mean, I've gotten to that age in my life where I kind of, I needed to pick one and I've kind of ran with it as you've seen. So did you see other sports helping, you know, maybe even helping curling your strength in football or your footwork and soccer? Did those help curling as you grew up? Yeah. The, 
the things that I learned from the strength and conditioning program at Kimberly High School not only helps me with curling, but it's something that has helped me. It'll help me throughout my life. That's like that knowledge is like so invaluable that like most people don't know like the lengths they go to at Kimberly High School to like teach you certain things like that. And it's it's been really beneficial and really helpful for me. What year did you graduate from Kimberly? Uh, 2021. So you, you played for Coach Jones, and he, he's quite a guy. Yep, I was his last team. So do you have um, strength and conditioning for, for the national team? Do they have you on programs and stuff right now? Yeah, there is a, a USA national team sports coordinator who gives us workout plans. Um, they even uh, – we train at the same – uh, training facility that the Minnesota Vikings train at. So, I mean, the equipment that they're giving us is really awesome. Are you taking off of school to pursue? Yeah. So I said earlier that I was admitted to a medical program. Yeah. And I, after we won nationals, I, I had to tell them that I need to defer a year. I, I can't do both. You know, this is something that is a once in a lifetime opportunity and, I can wait. School can wait. I, you know, school can wait. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, you feel good about that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. You know, they've worked so hard to get to this point, and you know, you finally have reached this pinnacle of achievement of becoming Team USA, and and that's kind of what I stress to this this team too when. They finally won, and we went through the whole award ceremony of, you know, they got their gold medals and stuff. But what really blew me away was when we were right up in a team meeting with the people from USA Curling, and the kids are trying on the jackets and the clothes, and it says Team USA on it. And, you know, the chill, on my, you know, the hair on my arms standing up in the back of my neck. And, and I really said to them right after, I'm like, you know, you guys, you didn't win a gold medal here. You won the right to be Team USA. And that's the most important thing here is that, not not the medal itself. Yeah. What an incredible achievement and feeling that's got to be. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. To both of you, really, as a, as a father, too. I mean, I just, I, you know, Eric and I both have kids. I mean, what a, what a terrific feeling. I mean, just feeling of accomplishment. There's no better feeling than to see your kids be successful. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It was a, it was it was very emotional too. So don't get me wrong. We actually, I think we were so focused on, on on getting to the end, that when that finally happened, you know, the amount of emotion that let out. I mean, I was just a bawling baby. It was just, it was terrible. But that's just that's just what happened. It just kind of like you know we we embraced each other and gave each other a big hug, and we're kind of at the bottom of the stairs where, you know, not all the patrons and everybody could see you, but you know it was just a kind of let loose, and it was a great moment and and one that I'll never forget. But yeah, it's you know when you finally get to those things that you work so hard for, because there's been so much disappointment along the way, right? We've been second fiddle a lot, and you finally got to that spot where like, oh my gosh, we just did it. I didn't even know how to react that you know when we won i was just like well well that's it you know <laughs> <laughs> oh what what a feeling and, and you're right you touched on something that there's so much disappointment in sports you have to learn how to overcome it but that's that's life and that, that's that's the great thing of all sports so jackson do you ever just sit there and think and like man i'm representing the usa and you know what do you feel i mean I don't know if it's hit me yet. I don't know if it ever will until I get to Finland, you know? Yeah, it is a weird thought. I mean, 
yeah, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity that I'm getting. And it really means a lot to me to represent my country. And I mean, there's pressure that comes along with that, but I mean, I'm ready to take it on. I'm, I'm ready to win at junior B's and go on to worlds and play some really good teams and curl and have fun. And I mean, that's the reason I, because I love the sport. You know what I mean? Like it all comes back to like my love for the sport, you know? Yeah. I don't know if we touched how long, is the junior b tournament um it'll be 14 days 14 okay yeah it's really yeah it's long and Scott, <laughs> i assume family's going yeah it was kind of funny it was uh it wasn't too long you know when the phone right after they won the phone started blowing up with all the text messages and people trying to get you know it was like the the entourage of people who are coming along you know it didn't take long for people to say hey i, I want to go to finland i would love to come and see him play and watch and all that so now we got to hammer all that out of how many are coming and where are we going to stay and how what's that going to look like and let that not be a distraction to jackson and the team right that's that's the biggest part of that too we are there now as spectators and we're just there to get behind them and root them on team usa but uh you know it, it's pretty special for family and friends to be able to go there and watch somebody who they have a personal connection with. And what are the dates of the nationals? When are you uh, traveling? I know it's early December. Uh, they were trying to narrow this down. Oh, from- actually, yeah, they don't know exactly because they're doing the men's and women's events separately, but they don't okay. know which one's going first. But uh, it's in December. And will we? Will people be able to like stream it and watch it? Um, yeah, most of the, the filming is on this uh, website called Recast, which um, it's just like an online streaming service that anybody can watch. I think you have to like watch advertisements, though, to get like credits to watch the videos, but just one of those silly things. But if yeah, you want anybody can watch it, if you want to watch it free, you go through the credit thing. And I think if you want to just watch it live as is, you can pay. But I think it's like per game, it might be like two dollars. It's yeah. it, really pretty affordable to watch those games what a cool story and i mean who knew and and seriously congratulations to both of you guys that's just absolutely incredible thank you i think we'll have to uh possibly have you on after yeah uh, just do a little quick interview and see how things went and uh yeah thank you guys so much for coming on it's that's a great story and uh yeah it's a lot of fun yeah hopefully we're still smiling yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, thank you, guys. Good luck with everything. See you, guys. Hey, what a great interview with the Armstrongs. Um, learned so much about the sport of curling and super excited to uh, have a local tie to to those uh, nat- to that world championships this year and even the national championships to see those men. One other thing I wanted to tie into and move ahead is an old look at new. Uh, see what's, uh, what's happening in Northeast Wisconsin on a historical side. And I'm gonna start it off, Joe. I have yes. one that dates way back, even before our time, uh, back in 1881 in July, uh, the ice cream sundae was invented in Two Rivers. No way, really? You know, basically, a, a gentleman, um, he was asked by a customer to top a dish of ice cream with chocolate sauce and uh-huh. an ingredient only used in ice cream sodas. And that tasty treat became 
Very popular, even though it was only served on Sundays. I like it. That's the name Sunday? That's where the name came from, yeah. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love ice cream, too. Who knew? Who knew? Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one thing that ice cream goes very, very well with, and it's my look back, it's maybe not quite northeastern Wisconsin, but I do know a lot of people from northeastern Wisconsin that went to the show, and it was... Uh, July 9th, 1995, right? Last Grateful Dead show, Soldier Correct. Field. Yep, absolutely. We were there. Um, we might have mentioned it in the first episode. I'm not sure. But, uh, hey, we're big deadheads. Digstown is big deadheads. So and I thought it was worth mentioning. It was a absolutely. long time ago, but uh, the music lives on. And that was a that was one hell of a night, one hell of a day. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Jerry's last show. You can't forget that. That's right. That's right. Always a hoot, Bobby. That was his last words to Bob Weir as they left the stage that night. <laughs> that was but, a good show. Good time. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, that's kind of fun, Tosh. That's kind of our clever look, I guess, at an old look at new. And, and I'm going to go have a dish of ice cream. I don't know about you. Yeah, you know, maybe top it with a little beer on this side. But, hey. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, Tash, continuing the theme of curling in this episode, it's our throwback segment where we throw back to the Red Smith Banquet, take a segment from a show. Uh, and in 2022, we had the U.S. Olympic curling team. All We had four of them there. Four of the five guys were there. We had It was a heck of a show. Those guys are awesome. And, and I, I know we, we had talked about maybe a little ice cream and beer, but those guys know their beer. They know their curling. They have a heck of a story. So sit back and listen to it. It's a great, uh, it's a great interview. Enjoy. Red Smith Sports Awards. Banquet Throwback. Red Smith Award, of course, goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin. And also epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome. So we have members of the curling team that this past year they were fourth at the Olympic Games. Awesome group of guys, fantastic stories. And what I learned more than anything else, and we'll hear from these guys, is there is a million things going on in curling. Let's bring these guys up, our Red Smith Award winners. This is Team Schuster. So this is John Schuster here next to me. He's the skip. So what he does is all really on the strategy side of things. Then we have the other John, John Landsteiner. These two have been together for 12 years, correct? Yeah, about that. Yep. About 12 years. These two won the Olympic gold medal together in 2018. Olympic champs. Olympic champs. Then we have 
So the, the third here, Chris Plies, and then on the uh, on the end is Colin Huffman. Colin lives in Seattle. These guys competed against each other as juniors, and Colin was telling me that he was having good success about, with you as a junior, and then he said, hey, if you can't beat him, join him. So these guys are the team right now. There's also another member of the team, but uh, he's not here with us tonight. So these teams, five people. How did you get involved in curling? I think all of us had some family connection to the sport. Uh, my dad played in league from the time I could walk. And my mom would take myself and my sister to the curling club on Thursday nights when my dad played in men's league, which you guys have a curling club here, much like actually kind of all of our clubs at home, a little four-sheeter in Chisholm. And uh, my dad would never let me throw a rock. It's like it's men's, like, men's league. It's a place for the guys to play. And, uh, and that hunger to try to do the one sport I watched my dad actually play in league kind of grew. And finally in sixth grade, my pre-algebra teacher, he had a flyer after basketball season was done because I was a basketball player in Chisholm. And we weren't allowed to do ice sports in the wintertime because we could get hurt or something for basketball. And, and I finally... Tried it on a Sunday night juniors, and the, from the first time I, I slid down the ice and, and delivered a stone like you guys have seen on the videos, or maybe while we were at the Olympics, it just was one of those things that just stuck with me, and I knew it was going to be something I wanted to do for a really long time. Who brought the flag into the opening ceremonies? This guy, flag bearer for the United States of America at the Olympic Games. How cool was that? You know, I, I don't know if you guys have the picture of it, but uh, getting to share that moment with my teammates, the opening ceremonies are always uh, the, hot, the highlight of the Olympics. You can win Olympic gold, and, and yeah, that was amazing, but walking in the opening ceremonies and seeing it for the first time, the second time, third time, it doesn't matter, it's the highlight. And um, in the United States, we have to be elected by our peers, the other athletes that are gonna be walking in that delegation, and um, to bestow that honor um, by your fellow athletes was what I think is one of the greatest honors in sports. And, and the great part about that is when you get bestowed that honor upon you, you get your teammates get to walk in right with you, right behind you and have your back. And, uh, and that was one of the greatest things ever to share that, not only with my fellow Team USA athletes from all the sports, but, but to have my guys right there behind me uh, leading the U.S. delegation out for the Olympic Games. John Lansteiner, three Olympic Games for you. What is it about this sport that hooked you? What keeps me interested in curling is, is like this team right here is like a family. And, you know, we're gone on the weekends away from our wives and our kids if we have kids. And uh, it's, it's a group of four or five, sometimes six or seven people that spend a lot of time together and have to trust each other. And I really, that is really enjoyable for me. And to have accomplished the things that we have is rewarding. Uh, but also, uh, the grassroots of curling is amazing. Like we, we've been playing competitively for 10 or 12 years, and we haven't got to have a fun bond spiel, we call it. They're tournaments that you would play at your local curling club. And this last weekend, we actually were playing back in John's, one of his, close to his hometown, Hibbing, Minnesota. And we got to like experience curling like we haven't in the last 10 years. And we had the time of our lives uh, just kind of being regular guys and having fun. Uh, you know, it's the camaraderie, it's the people, it's all of that. Chris, what makes a great curler? Um, 
I think it's the same as, as any other sport. It's, um, it's something that, you know, I've always said it, it, uh, I'd, always re I'd retire from curling when I quit having fun. Um, and being with these guys, I still, we still have just a heck of a time. And, but it's the same as any sport. It's just the, the dedication. Like, yeah, curling, it might not be. We're not going to look like Leroy Butler. Uh, you know, we're not, most of us aren't going to be the biggest, jacked up, strongest guys in the world. But um, it's the time that you spend um, and what you're doing when nobody else is watching. So it was countless nights at the curling club late at night or um, squeezing in rocks between, between leagues or after junior practice was over. Um, and just the commitment to never being content when, even when you've had success, never being content and, and continuing to put the work in. And yeah, just never being, never being content. I think that would be, be the one thing. When it comes to curling, do you guys have anybody that you looked up to when you were younger? I mean, is that, is that part of it? I mean, if you're a, a young football player, it's like, yeah, I like this guy or baseball. Like, I want to be Mike Trout someday. When you grow up in curling, is that, is that part of the story? I think it has to be the story for everybody, you know, listening to the guys who are up here already. And, I mean, for me, I, I went into the Hibbing Curling Club, the neighboring town where we were just playing this weekend, and I remember walking into that club and I saw national championship banners. And we're from a small town on the Iron Range in northern Minnesota of towns of five to 15,000 people. And I remember seeing national championship banners, but there was also a world championship banner hanging there. And it said, Bruce Roberts, Joe Roberts, Jerry Scott, Gary Clefman. And two of those guys still curled in league there. And I, I remember being, I'm from a small town, I love this sport, and it's possible. And I think, you know, that's the message, you know, that I give, give to kids is to, I, I walked into a curling club and I believed it was possible. And it was the day that I kind of made a dedication. I watched the Olympic trials in 97 in Duluth and said, I, I don't think those guys actually look that much better than me. Maybe I'm going to go give this a run. And you get humbled real quick when you don't win or even make it to a junior national championship for four years. And that's where the dedication and heart kicks in and not being content. And, you know, but I had the belief from almost the first day I stepped into a curling club because guys from my small town that were still there, still playing in league, that I got to play against in league once in a while, had accomplished it, and I believed I could do it from a young age. Colin, describe the pressure of curling. It's, it's impossible to really describe well, but one thing that's interesting is, so we all play different positions. We throw, you know, pairs of stones, so Steiner generally plays lead, he throws the first two. I generally play second, I throw the next pair, Chris the next, and John always throws the last two. And you'd kind of think that the person throwing feels all the pressure. Like they have to make that shot. If, if the last shot of the game is you have to put a rock in this spot, you know, 150 feet down the ice, that seems like a really hard thing to do. But myself and Steiner, generally we're the ones sweeping it. And in curling, like you, once again, you don't really notice it that much if you're watching it on TV. It's just kind of hard to, hard to figure out. But the people who really put the rock there, I, I like to take credit because we're front-enders and this is what we do, is me and Steiner are the ones actually responsible for making the shots. John just throws them. He, he holds them for four seconds and then there's 25 more seconds that me and Steiner have the chance to mess it up, basically. So I, I've played kind of every position and there's nothing I feel more pressure doing than basically when the skip lets it go, you know it's close. And now it's like, okay, don't mess this up. <laughs> that, I mean, that's it.
Chris, what have you learned from these guys? Certainly um, not how to do his hair for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, so I joined this team four years ago after Tyler, uh, the third from the, the gold medal team, retired. And for me, I had, growing up, I had a ton of success at a really young age. Um, you know, I was a world junior champion, won a ton of junior nationals, and then, and then after that, uh, lost just so many finals. Um, you know, I wanted to, there was times I thought about giving up because us curlers, um, I don't know if anybody knew this, but we're not, we don't, there's no million dollar contracts in, in curling. Um, Yet. But I, but I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. And when Tyler retired and they gave me a call to come join their team, you know, I jumped at it. And the first year um, that, we, that we started playing together, um, I, you know, I'd played with a lot of talented guys over the course of my career. But when I started joining these guys, it just, there was just something different. And John kind of alluded to it earlier, um, I think stemmed from 2018, was just how selfless a good team has to be. Um, and having teammates that when you're not at your best, um, they kick it up a notch for you to, um, you know, to just to get wins. And, um, and I kind of learned that from them, I think, that... Uh, when I was growing up and I was younger, I was a bit of a hothead. I would break brooms and I would got a lot of warnings from officials and all sorts of stuff like that. And um, at the time, I was like, I wonder why I just don't know why I can't break through and I just can't, you know. I wanted to win those nationals or go to the Olympics again so bad. And I think that's what I learned from them was to be successful on a team, you have to be a good teammate and you need to bite your tongue sometimes. Uh, and, but you also need to be able to have a tough conversation um, with somebody when, when you're noticing something that uh, falls out of line of what your, what your team's goal is. And I had never really been on a team that until, until I joined these guys that um, they both let, held me accountable, um, but also expected the same from, you know, of themselves. And um, yeah, so I think that I've never been asked that question before, though. So that was, that was kind of tough to think. Well, it's been fun meeting you guys today. You guys are awesome guys. And I cannot wait to watch the Olympics next time it rolls through and be like, I know those guys, awesome guys, and uh, hopefully you guys can get another gold medal. But thanks so much. Our Red Smith Award Thank winner you. is the 2022 United States Olympic curling team. That was just some of the interview of the U.S. Olympic curling team and their appearance at the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet in April of 2022 at the Fox Cities Convention Center. To hear and see the entire interview, head over to our YouTube channel and check it out. All right, this week we had a great look at curling. We hope you enjoyed the throwback and all of the interviews with the Armstrongs as well. Tasha, yeah, absolutely agree. Great interviews. That's really what we hope to accomplish with this, with the new Sacas, is to just bring you stories like, like Scott and Jackson Armstrong. Who knew these folks lived in our area? And, and that's really what, what we're trying to accomplish with this. So we thank you for listening. Please follow us on all our socials, the NoosaCast, Red Smith. You'll find us on, on any of the social outlets on YouTube. And if you do us one more favor, please like, subscribe, download this podcast. It really, really, truly helps us out. And with that, Tosh, we'll see you next Thursday. Enjoy a little Digstown. Sounds good. See you later, Joe. Thanks for listening to the NoosaCast. 
We appreciate your support. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thanks to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and create awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeastern Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes.